Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Knives. It's from the album Indian Yard by Yassine, and my guest today is probably, you guessed, is associated with Yassine. It's Nicholas Gallinan, and he's also an artist and an incredible artist, and we talk about uh, his art, this installation that he recently did in Palm Springs. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. We talk about it at the top of the uh, conversation, but uh, everything is in the show notes, especially the GoFundMe. So please uh, go to the show notes, check out the links, buy the music. It's out on Sub Pop. Uh, so there, that's all. And if you're a first time listener and you're here because you're a fan of Nicholas and his work, please go back to my library and check out the long, rich history I've had of artists and musicians and activists. It's a pretty great one. Or you could just go to themattdwire.com, and uh, that's a jumping-off point. My Instagram, Conversations with Dwyer, is a great way to see who's coming on and who's been on and to explore that. And, and Patreon subscribers get bonus footage, videos. You could look, instead of listening to this conversation, you could look at Nicholas, and his. He he's a good-looking guy. And then you could look at my doughy, dopey face, and you could be like, oh, poor Nicholas had to look at Dwyer for an hour. Anyway, so uh, please, go. like I said, go to the show notes, check out all things. Uh, please support music, buy music, don't just stream it. I have to say that every episode, it's crucial. I spend way more money than I have on music. I'm not rich. But you could become a Patreon subscriber and help me buy more music. And that helps me get more guests on because the more music I buy, the more I learn about music, the more I go, hey, I want to ask that person onto the show. Um, that being said, uh, I'm going to shut my mouth and enjoy this conversation. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I have four, and my partner has two that are here part time. So we've got six right now. Wow, that's yeah. up there with the, you're up there with the Catholics. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm Catholic as well. And uh, do you know uh, the uh, artist uh, Greg Deal? I interviewed him, and he has. Oh yeah, I know Greg. He has. I, I, don't, I, I know his work. He's, yeah, he has five kids. And I have a friend who has five kids. And I'm just like, I have two. And I'm like, what do you, like, you shoot speed? Like, how do you keep up with that? <laughs> <laughs> they start helping out, man. Oh, see, mine's five years old and then 10 months. So I'm like, okay. Uh, it's yeah. Just, and as you know, you hit like six or seven o'clock in the night. And I'm just, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. 
my first two were like 13 months apart. So that was like twins almost when they were little. And then, of course, their little brother came. So, you know, the first three, they were really close. So that was, that was you know, when you have to grab kids and groceries out of the car. <laughs> that, you start to appreciate when they can unbuckle themselves and stuff. So it's like levels, man. Yeah, I, I, I want to get to the just the phase where I'm like, okay, you're not going to wander out in the street and get killed while I'm like grabbing a bag. Yeah, but now my gang can like watch. The youngest is two right now. They'll just kick it and I'll be at the studio. They'll all be here hanging and then, you know, come back. So it's all good. So. I like that you call it a gang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you come from a big family? Um, I mean, I had those two brothers, so growing up at least, I've got my sister, but she was younger, so. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the people I know with big families, they're like, I want a big family, and I'm like, I came from a big family, and I was like, no, I don't want yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> just, yeah, I just, I'm like, how did my parents do it, and no wonder why I'm so fucked up. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you were in the desert doing a, a installation before, like last week. I was installing work. Yeah. What uh, big project? What desert were you in? I was in. I was actually in Palm Springs at the entrance of Palm Springs, so Agua oh. Caliente um, Reservation around there. So, yeah. oh, I'm, is, how long is that going to be up for? I think it's supposed to be up six months. So this project, yeah, somewhere around there. Because so. uh, I'm I'm going there. That's why I'm like I'm going to be oh, there. Nice. Like, so I'll I'll go check that out. That's if I can. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, go check it out. What What did the installate? Because also building an installation in the the hot of yeah. I had I had a crew um, that's capable and amazing build the, build the work. So. Um, the Matt, I don't know his last name offhand. Um, they build like the X Games ramps, and you know, they do some Coachella stuff. They they're good. They they put together this project and and got it up in um, three weeks or so, maybe maybe six weeks. I'll have to look at when they started again. Did it was six weeks. I, I can't even imagine like uh, how I, I hope I just have no like I don't even know where one approaches like a project like that did does someone come to you and they say hey we want to build this thing? yeah this is for a biennial so Desert X biennials uh, they approached me three years over three years ago um, you know they do a lot land art and installations outdoors and he brought me down there and when I go out to visit these places I always of course look at what's going on with the community and how they represent themselves or how how what's what's not being quite represented or you know all these different narratives and um, you know that uh, area there historically is Cahila and Agua Caliente um territory and land and um that's that's 
a very particular history that like many places our indigenous histories are often you know actively or purposefully um, overlooked by certain communities and in Palm Springs, one narrative that I noticed that's always been upheld is it's this Hollywood playground. Um, and that, that's one romanticized version of that space uh, that's kind of held on to. Um, that amnesia and erasure of indigenous community is something that I'm, you know, a lot of our, a lot of us are familiar with in our own communities. So. Uh, this piece came to mind particularly based on um, Hollywood. Hollywood land, the sign uh, is, was a white only real estate advertisement um, to sell real estate, you know, school and indigenous land to white only communities, which has now become this um, iconic, you know, uh, image and sign of, you know, a larger institution. Um, and th that aspect of history is often not talked about as well when people reference Hollywood or the Hollywood sign. Uh, so looking at that, looking at how Hollywood as an institution has um, perpetuated stereotype towards ind indigenous communities, um, just tied some of this all into this project here. Um, even the term Indian, which is, you know, uh, was not what we called ourselves. We have over 500, um, distinct, unique, uh, communities and nations here in, in, the, in North America. And, and, um, you know, we have, Myself, for instance, we're Klinka and Onanga. The Russians call this Alu, but we're Onanga. That's our name for, for what we call ourselves. Uh, the U.S. government implementing the term, are you utilizing the term Indian as a pan kind of uh, generalizing blanket of uh, indigenous community in the U.S. and uh, legislation um, and the process of removing us from our lands, um, from our languages, from our, you know, all these other aspects of our communities. So it's looking at that term as well. And, you know, we've, there's a history of our communities even embracing or adopting it, especially in the 70s and 80s American Indian movement. Uh, and then um, it's, um, yeah, kind of tying that conversation into land and, and the displacement of land. Uh, and land acknowledgement. So if you're familiar with land acknowledgement, um, institutions might say, you know, we, we recognize that we're on, uh, in this case, I'm in Klinkiani, which is my community's land, Klinky land, and they, you know, thank them for uh, caring for the place and to future generations, et cetera. The problem with land acknowledgement is that it's lip service if there's nothing, you know, more intent, more, more like, there's no action followed up with that to these communities. Um, it becomes a very empty gesture. And so this work is a call to action. Um, it's a call to action to landowners that, um, you know, might 
want to participate. There's a land back movement happening now where land is being, legal title of land is being returned to indigenous community. It recognizes that indigenous communities are um, and have very clear, deep, connected relationship to place from since time immemorial. And um, it understands that that necessity of that relationship is vital to everybody on the land and community right now. You know, when, you, when you're disconnected from a place, it's easier to, to damage or care less for it. And that's, you know, can wrap us into climate, uh, environmental destruction, water, water rights. Um, so this is a call to action. There's a lot of ways to participate. If you can't participate with direct land title, you know, not everybody even has legal title to land in, in, in the U.S. You can um, participate by, there, there's been a GoFundMe set up that will, the funds will go directly to uh, Native American land conservation and uh, conservancy and um, and the funds will be used to uh, transfer legal title of land back to indigenous care uh, for this installation where this is and, but that's not the only form of participation it can happen in your community anywhere there's lots of indigenous organizations out here doing work there's lots of examples of these exchanges happening um, it's less than, I think it's like 3% or somewhere around there, actual legal title held by indigenous communities in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, that's what this piece is engaging. It's a really broad, big conversation. There's a lot of more nuances to it than, than just here. This is what's happening now. There's a lot of different versions of, of what it could be, but, um, this is, uh, yeah, this is what I was down in the uh, desert installing, so. That's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot to, for me, to process and try to come <laughs> I'm like, how do you, so when you, okay, you're like, okay, that's going to be, the installation is going to be about these things. Do you then start thinking in a visual context or like what is, because that's a lot to, it's a lot. Well, this this piece this piece I was familiar with the way the internet behaves. I'm not new to the the, the these aspects of things. So it became kind of a uh, you know it's a big form of potentially infiltrating algorithms and um, people's engagements. They're going to want to take their selfies with this. Their that's the nature of some projects like this potentially. So, um, but the goal is to get over that next hurdle, and um, you can't always hold everybody's hand there. Though they have to work for it a little bit and find it. So, um, yeah. Is there becoming more? Is there progress with land acknowledgement and giving? land back or is that I mean there's action there's action after acknowledgement and it doesn't have to be the, in the form of just giving land back it could be other things there shouldn't be any you know like it could be supporting um, indigenous uh, programming or indigenous arts or indigenous led like our, our 
homelessness. You know, there's lots of different forms of action after acknowledgement, but an acknowledgement is just, uh, it's, it's a form of, you know, trying to share or show some respect, but is it really without follow through? You know, those sort of things. So, so it's asking more for the community from, from our communities. So to, to not only just talk about these things or recognize them, but to, you know, do something. Yeah. Does, because, you know, the United States has a great history of fucking lip service. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. And I, when you mentioned Hollywood, I was just like, had a, cause I lived in Los Angeles for a long time and just, it's amazing to me that on the surface, people are like, it's a very liberal town. I'm like, no, what the fuck? It's not like it's yeah. the history is riddled with racism. And I mean, like you said, that Hollywood land is all it was for white. It's like that city was district to keep it very, very white, as is like Chicago is considered a liberal town. And it's like it is not. <laughs> yeah. Um. Was 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 when you became or started becoming aware of that you wanted to be an artist? Was that was having a political message hand in hand or from the from the get go? You no, know, I come from uh, my father is a musician and artist. My uncle, my great grandfather. In our community, we have you know making is just a huge part of our culture. Uh, so that was my you know I, I was actually like 12, 13 somewhere around there when I started just trying to draw cultural forms from our visual language from Clinket community and um, I was just trying to understand it it became this way of learning more about culture and history and community um and of course, by the time I had turned, you know, I think it was 18, I quit my last job that had anything other than, <clears throat> that had nothing to do with creativity, I should say. So like, <clears throat> uh, that was it. I was in, I was, I was just, I wasn't, I wasn't going to look back though, you know, like I had to, it was this and I, so I started working with anybody I could. I was working with like, customary apprenticeships culturally with elders in the community um, in wood carving and jewelry and and through that work I started to um, see other aspects of how the world uh, assumed things or how the world romanticized or stereotyped and that really you know uh, ignited a different voice of <clears throat> inside of my work and, I, and ideas that I thought was necessary. So um, that's kind of where it all began again. That's pretty, uh, just at 15, you were like, fuck it, I'm throwing myself 100% in? Uh, 18, I was 18, 18. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, I watched artists though in my family working and yeah, um, grew up. and I knew that I loved it. Like I, 
I would go work and study and it was challenging. It still is challenging. And there's nothing that was more fulfilling and it use of time in a day. And, and that was, to me was like complete happiness. So to feel challenged and leave and, and, you know, have this satisfied, like, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but yeah, it's a good feeling. Um, and I'm assuming that within your family, it was always encouraged. I just, I came from a family that was like, we lay ass for you. Know, my, <laughs> yeah, my father was uh, always, always extremely encouraging. He's, uh, you know, cause he works in the creative field and regardless of the challenges it could bring, you know, always was. And uh, my mother is always supportive, but always had this early on kind of worry, I think, where she would like, ask my dad, am I going to be okay? <laughs> Were there other elements of, uh, <laughs> of need of concern? I just know like at 18, I would be the same kind of thing. I was like, I'm moving to Chicago and I'm going to be doing these things. And my at one point I was living in a pantry and my mom was like, maybe you should try something else. I'm like, I'm fucking 20. Like I haven't, <laughs> I'm still figuring this out. It was that in sort of that vein or that your mom had, uh, I had, I had good mentors around. <clears throat> I was really fortunate. I, you know, my uncle, Will Burker brought me in on a few big jobs as an apprentice and, um, was, you know, I was learning and working and getting paid, um, on, you know, with some of the best. So it was, <clears throat> um, those were good foundations to have, I think. And then I, I, after that time, I ended up going to school in London, England, um, saved my money, went to school for jewelry design and silversmithing to kind of continue this, this, this work. And um, that was a whole other crazy experience. I left. <laughs> I left sick Alaska, a town of 8,000 people and never traveled anywhere overseas. I'm like, okay, I had in my mind what it might be like to be in like a, like a big city or something, but it was completely wrong. I brought like what I thought I needed, which was probably maybe a few too many bags. And, um, <laughs> I get, I, I take this long flight jet lag land in London don't know anybody there I don't even like I have a temporary place to stay and oh, I was overwhelming I was like I get off I get on the wrong train people see me and they know I'm like way out of place and like I think you gotta walk across the, the bridge and get on the train that way <laughs> they're kind I get to like one of the main stations during rush hour and I walk out of the, the uh, cube and um, it was just like this flood of people all directions and I just I, like stepped out and then I found a little corner to like step back in and just like holy shit where, how do I get out of here <laughs> where am I going <laughs> I got this map oh man I had uh, no money I had like a check in US dollars because I didn't know that you can't put a Checking US dollars and a, and a British bank account. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. That's, I, I just like, I related to myself where I wasn't 
and you probably were better off than me, like not the most secure or like, and to be thrown in that situation, I mean, it must have been. How, it was good. How, how long did you, did it take for you to start feeling sort of acclimated to your new environment? I don't know. It was, it was back and forth. I'd, I would fly home every six months or something for uh, Christmas or whatever. And but you know, about that time when I'd leave, I just started feeling good there, you know, and then I'd leave and I'd come home and it'd be weird to be home. And I'd leave and go back. So it was just kind of back and forth. I, I was there purely for, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see and experience other things. And I, I was there for knowledge. Like I was literally going to, uh, I was there to learn more about technical and, and other aspects of jewelry design and silversmithing. And, um, that's what I really focused on most of the time. Like I, I couldn't afford to do extra night classes beyond the degree program, but I befriended instructors and they just let me sit in on them. I didn't get credit for them, but I'd be there every night in these other courses and they just let me learn without, you know, without having to register or anything. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what I was there for. And I don't necessarily think I'd want to, go back to live <laughs> but it was good it was good it was a good time did you find any because i've never been to london but like did you find any like other sort of cultural nooks and crannies of the city or like music scenes or yeah anything? i mean i saw a lot of music more live music than i'd ever seen because I hadn't been in spaces like that. Uh, you know, I'd just go to look for shows and go to them. I saw the Melvins. Holy fuck. I saw the yeah, that was, that was amazing. I saw the Pixies. I saw, you know, I went to as many shows as I could. Um, I, I played my first open mic over there. I was, like, scared. Shit was just completely, like... But I knew I wanted to get over some of that stuff to be able to you know, express myself through music. So, um, and, um, you know, what was going on at the time was like Grimes, grime scene, like UK, uh, grime scene. And, and I lived in East Hackney. So I'd be like through the areas. My girlfriend had a car and you would just hit these pirate radio stations at the time. And that's that's what would like cross over the airwaves briefly as you're driving. So that was that was kind of going down right before it blew up into a thing. That was cool. Um, and then just access to other things across the street from my studio and uh, at the university was Whitechapel Art Gallery. So I, that was a free gallery, and I'd go in there every new show and really got to see a lot of new art and works that I'd never seen or had any idea of what was happening before. So that was really uh, impactful for me in some ways, I think. G going back to the music, because that interests me, because uh, was that something that was sort of fermenting and budding in you for a while? Because you said like you wanted to express sure. it. Sure. I, I, I mean, we... I loved music, like listening to music all the time. Was, you know, it's still a thing. And um, 
but yeah playing it and just it was a time where I'd come home from university and we'd have you know our, my friends back in our own community here in Sitka would all be back from wherever college or they'd be home for the summer and we'd just have fires on the beach and our guitars and we'd share songs originals cover songs whatever that was just a thing like <clears throat> and um but we didn't have, really have access to live shows here in this rather like it was always you know when you're out and about so um yeah because you you mentioned the melvins and the pixies were those early influences or was that just sort of that's sort of what you wound up seeing and oh i used to love uh, <clears throat> i mean i do love uh i used to listen to melvins and pixies all, all the time uh i listen to kind of a pretty broad range range of music and um I, I always appreciated the Melvin's ability to, um, you know, seem like they're pretty free in what they create and, and their voice and what they want to create. And I always found that as a strength, you know, creatively. And my visual artwork is necessity. Like it's a, you know, you're not like pinned down to a palette or a process. Um, and I think there's just... Uh, I think there's some longevity and, and <clears throat> that being able to be creatively curious and that's all the time, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. It was, cause I, I obviously don't know much about the town that you grew in. Was it, was having access to, was it pre-internet or was there internet? Cause access to music is like such a, you know, there was like, you know, there was like Napster era and all that was. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up several Cause computers because of Napster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was actually when I was in high school was when the internet was first like more accessible. And I think I, I remember when Hotmail was a thing. And I, it was like a, I think I was a freshman or something and I was like started my. I got I got my last name at Hotmail. I was like locked it in. That's an email. Uh, and then they kicked me off of it. I think I don't know if I I don't have that anymore. I think they're like we're not can't use this one anymore, and we're moving on. But some people still have their Hotmail accounts. I think which is crazy. Yeah, I don't know if I ever had one. I was I yeah. had AOL, yeah. which is just pissed me off that I had to pay for it. I don't know. Oh yeah. And they, but uh. What did you, when you first started creating your own music, was it, because I know I've, I've heard Silver Jackson, was it more in that vein or? Yeah, there was, you know, there was early on like acoustic uh, aspect to it. I think it's Glimmering Now was like the first uh, project that had, you know, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, real instrumentation and sounds that, that were just captured and put into that record. Um, not really too much analog synth or anything. <clears throat> but yeah, th you know, that was, um, that was just early stuff. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's, it's so wildly different than what you're uh, what you're doing yeah. now and that's just like I'm like how does how do you get from point 
<laughs> gotta be free, man. You gotta be free. I live. Quit holding yourself back. <laughs> oh, so, so I've been living in fear, and that's been a mistake. Yes. Okay, I'll, that, yes. that, but that's a, How does because I was and a question I thought of earlier is like when you were talking about being mentored by these people, your family and other artists. Does that was it? Did that cause? Like, how did you find your own voice within that? Did you find yourself, like, were they... You know, there's just, there's multiple experiences in the visual art world, for sure. Um, one of the ones that I, a few of them that really still stand out to me and um, were, you know, transitional in certain ways, I think, were... One was I was working... I was 18 years old. I was working this job where I had to greet tourists that came into this old house, a Russian bishop house in our community. It's this historical place. There's no windows. You sit at this desk. When tourists get off the cruise ship, they come in, take their like $2, greet them, and they walk through this old house. And there would be just hours in the day where... There's nothing, nobody coming through. So I just kept a sketchbook and I was studying my cultural art. Like, <clears throat> and my boss came in one day and was like, you can't draw clinket art while you're waiting here. You have to read books on Russian history. And uh, I quit. <laughs> okay, I'm, not, I'm not ever doing this shit again. Like, I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> absolutely like and that was one one like quick lean uh, into you know what I do, where I'm at and where what I do and <clears throat> the other one was um well, I guess there's been a few uh I was studying in London and my instructor said the same I couldn't do my like my cultural art form in the at university and um you know, I didn't quit there. I just said, okay, I didn't know how to respond. And I satisfied their needs of doing this generic process of creativity. Um, and I kept sketchbooks the whole time that I never brought into my instructors in, 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 the, in university um, of work and ideas that are in the vein of the work I do now. And, uh, and um, so that was one more aspect from there I went to Massey University in New Zealand the Maori visual arts course and studied you know from my cultural perspective though and that's where a lot of these ideas really uh, were implemented and, and work uh, and then last one I'll be quick here the first exhibition I'd ever been invited to I uh, was in New York, but before that, they flew me to Vancouver, British Columbia, to do this programming and videotaping and interviews with the artists. I was showing with some of my heroes, like that uh, I grew up, artists that indigenous artists that were just incredible. And for me, I was just like, "Wow, I'm out here. This is wild." And the inter woman interviewing me was asking me about my piece and. Um, I did. I did a. I did a copper mask that was based on like traditional, customary clinket 
forms and process. And she was just trying to fish out this, like, I don't know, frame this, like, stereotypical spirituality of something in, in, in the work that I wasn't really referencing or anything. And that that was a point of where I realized, like, okay, I can't be out here, like, performing things for these uh, spaces either. Like, I have to, you know, utilize these opportunities to, you know, reflect realities of our, my experiences now, at least. And, and that was a big shift, too, in my work, I think. So. That's... <sighs> I just, I just, to me, that's just that that woman is not listening. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, you're yeah. not, you can't go into things with an agenda or a preconceived notion. Yeah, but it happens. It happens, especially with like indigenous artists that are, you know, anybody that's fetishized or any histories that are really stereotyped. Or, um, it, it happens in a lot of spaces more often than you think. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I was during after the shooting in Atlanta, all I kept thinking of was these images of Asians I've seen in films for the last hundred years. Like my, you know, like Mickey Rooney and breakfast at Tiffany's. And it's just like, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> it's like, yeah. have you seen the film that I speak of? I mean, it's a cartoon. Yeah. It's a fucking cartoon. Of a- it's the way representations like we fight for it. Like it's so important to you know. There's like misrepresentation is as so much like causes so much deeper harm than we people might recognize on the uh, on the surface, I suppose. And that conversation crosses over into characters of like uh, mascots, indigenous mascots, native mascots in sports. Um, and those being misrepresentations, which dehumanize people. When you dehumanize, you know, that the dehumanization of our communities is part of justifying, like inflicting genocide or violence towards certain communities because they're seen as less than human. Um, so. Yeah, I don't, as, when I, because I had Greg Deal on the show twice, and when I started researching him, I was like, I, I was ashamed of myself because I was like, I thought I was aware, and I was like, I don't know a fucking thing, and I've, <laughs> like, and you know, and talking to him, I realized it's like, but I, I was ashamed, and and it's my responsibility to, to not be a fucking idiot. <laughs> to put it back. <laughs> uh, and I. Anyway, I want to get back to the music, though. Um, when did it... Or actually, the other thing I wanted to ask is, because you've mentioned freedom twice or a couple times, and I was just like, how how do you explain that to somebody who might not comprehend what that means, artistic freedom? I mean, I feel like there's been so many... Um, uh, attempts... Uh, like even through like the form of colonizing is a, a consumption, a form of consumption, and there's been so many attempts to consume um, every aspect of my community, from the physical land to the body to the language to the uh, to the to our knowledge, um, and um, not only consume it but homogenize it. So to 
uh, you know, like our, our elders words and are homogenized by uh, anthropology. And then they, they are not validated in certain communities or eyes until they go through that form of academic homogenization. Um, so in that process, we're often removed from it. And in that process, our um, agency is often an attempt to remove us, remove that from it. So we're, we're categorized or boxed or placed, our land is placed in borders. Um, so all of these things uh, I've been very aware of. And I feel like demonstrating uh, sovereign creativity away from outside of those things is a, a form of uh, uh, combating that, I suppose. So, um, and that means I don't even know what my, I don't even know what my next project's going to be. I don't know what the next material is going to be. I don't know what the next song is going to be. That's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 and that to me is what I reference, I suppose, when I speak of like freeing yourself. Do you think art school is, because I've, when you said the thing about how the art teacher was like, don't bring that stuff in. And I've talked to other artists who some people viewed it as, Art school was a means and an access to materials and connections, opposed to actually learning. Because I don't know if you know the artist. Sure, I, you know I did. I did learn things, but the things they were trying to teach were were not useful to me uh, on every on every aspect. But I did learn technical stuff. I did have access. I had to, I had a, you know situated a time in my life to um, explore these things with. Uh, other peers around and 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 with access to facilities and access to people with um, other technical skills and, and stuff like that so to me that was good the thing is there's you can't and you shouldn't you know you can be inspired by people and all that but that's not a recipe it's not your recipe you know what i mean like you're you are you have your own understandings and voice and position in the world so that's you got to figure out what that is like um, and you can't arrive there by following other people's paths and journeys that you know what i mean yeah from some of the <clears throat> unique like artists that stand out to me they always said that they had conflict within art school because they were like you don't do it this way and they're like they had this, the strength to be like, go fuck yourself and I'm going to keep doing this. But a lot of people don't have that. I feel like art school could in a lot of ways be damaging. Sure. It depends what you think, what you care about and what you're there for. Like I wasn't, I was getting like C's and D's and like aspects of certain courses in there, like life drawing or like, you know, things that don't particularly, um, are not things I do now. Uh, and um, there's so much generalized aspects to that type of learning in those institutions that you, you know, I, was, I, would, I would do the necessity to get by, keep moving. Like, like all right, I know, <clears throat> but 
kind of everybody does that. I don't, everybody's there for different reasons too, man. Like some people, some of my peers that I might still be in contact with, there's only a few, I think, aren't doing anything in the creative field from, from that time while they were there. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how did <laughs> I've been that guy sometimes um, uh, yeah. when, when did your Music start taking the turn Towards where it is now You know I think um, I just I just started Expanding into other forms of creating. You know, I I started becoming more interested in like sonics of sound and and, and that space. And that to me was um, started to become a shift. And Starry Sky's Open Eyes was definitely more of a slow shift that way, I believe. Um, and yeah, just kind of moving into that space. It's uh, running a music festival here that I co-founded with a friend and we ran for 10 years and bring artists up all the time. And I just started uh, thinking about, I don't know, yeah, some of the artists that I loved and the production, the music they were doing, like Shabazz Palaces, you know, that was major for me when I first heard Shabazz. I was like, what is this? And um, the, pr- the production and, you know, all of that. Just, just yeah. Is that also really on Sub Pop or am I crazy? Yeah, Shabazz, Shabazz dishes on this record, um, which is, you know, so that was, um, yeah, th- those were like, real impactful moments for me of things that I just aligned with and spoke to me in ways that resonate still. So. How, how did Sub Pop, be, was that, and is that a trip? Because to me, like Sub Pop is such an iconic label that if <laughs> even my, uh, having my podcast deal with them, I'm just like, fuck, I really can't believe I'm dealing with Sub Pop. <laughs> yeah, it was a trip in ways, I suppose. You know, my older brother was, uh, a musician in the family growing up really like he was good um he used to just he he loved you know i'd I'd get all my music from him and and of course nirvana and sub pop and all that was his thing for a long time and um so i was very familiar from the, the history of that work um the I had an exhibition in Seattle at the Fry Art Museum with uh, some of uh, my good friends, uh, Mikoyo, Ali Barnes, Nepsidu, Nigara, Kudulu. And um, we, it was at your feast has ended at the Fry Art Museum. We were there for the opening. You know, this is the Black Constellation Collective that I'm also part of. there was an opening event and JP uh, was there and my friend Skin was like, hey, that's Sub Pop co-founder. Let me go introduce you. And he, I was like, oh shit. And he walked, you know, he introduced, introduced me and we've been in touch since. That's kind of how it 
uh, kind of how some of this kicked off. You know, JP was already working with Ish and some of these some of these other cats uh, for some time, so we were in a circle, anyways, of sorts. Um, but yeah, I think I passed them that Starry Skies Open Eyes record, and they wanted to maybe talk about doing something in the future. And, you know, I think we must have signed this contract two or three years ago. I don't know. And, and just kind of went to work really focusing on this project. <clears throat> um, it's a big, long process. It's good, though. <laughs> you know, we were, were rushing things out. It was just like, all right, we're going to do this how we feel like we need to do it. And, and, and um, this, is, this, is, this is what we present for our first project with them. So it's exciting. Man. Did you put aside all other projects and focused on that or did you go back and forth? No, there's other things always in the art world stuff that's happening. Um, you know, we, uh, yeah, this, I think we recorded probably over 40 or something starts and ideas of songs for this record, uh, over that course of three years. So, and then, came back to certain things and it became really apparent which songs were going to be on this project. So Awesome. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time. Um, I put all stuff in the show notes and I would, uh, I'll try to, I'll, if, is there like something that I could link the installation to as well or other? Yeah. You got to put the GoFundMe in. You have to, that's like the actual project. I didn't, I didn't, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely I'll, put me, that in. Let me add the link real quick to the chat here, but, but the, on the surface of this project, the, you know, people assume the work is the piece and that is actually not the, that's not the work. This is, this is the work right here. So, uh, this is the work and the exchange, hopefully the title or exchange of land that happens, that's the actual piece. So, um, this other part is just part of that process and getting, getting everybody there. So like, yeah, please link that. Uh, if anybody wants to contribute, and, and, and participate. This is a call to action, participation. You know, it's, it's um, really appreciated. So. And I'll reach out to Becca and make sure I, just to make sure I have all proper links and stuff because I want to make sure everything gets plugged properly and I'll put in the intro and all that. I'll make sure to put focus on that. So thank you very much. Thank you. for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening